Hello, and welcome to Punching Out. Every week, we're here on Wayo Radio talking about the problems people have with their work, whether it's incompetent bosses or unfair policies, hostile workplaces or dismal paychecks, or anything in between. We want to hear from you. If you'd like to share your work problems with us, email us at punchingoutwayo at gmail.com and let us talk about them. Tune in and punch out. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Hey guys, welcome to this week's Punching Out. I'm Lou. This week I am talking about management with Noah. Hi y'all. So in past episodes, in case you haven't listened to us before, uh, we generally come down pretty hard on management. Unsurprising given this is the show about labor. Uh, Noah, do you have any like snippets of what we talk about? Oh, let's see. We've talked about how human resources is... Uh Full of snitches. And a scam. And a scam. We've talked about how unions are great and people who get in the way of unions are bad. (laughs) We've talked about all sorts of horrible, horrible things that various kinds of managers can do from making your life impossible economically to making your life impossible emotionally. Oh, I I would say, what is this, like episode 55 or 56? Right. All of them have in some way, shape, or form told you your boss sucks. Yeah. So, yeah, that's basically what we've said. And what we've never really talked about, we've always assumed that we generally understand that bosses are bad, management's bad, and that's why. But we've never really talked about why your boss is bad or why your management team might be utter crap. Uh, So on this week's episode, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the systemic reasons why your boss might suck. And hopefully to see if there's anything we can do different. Right. So we're going from how your boss sucks to why your boss sucks. And as uh, Lou was saying to me earlier off mic, the reasons we're talking about here is not your boss sucks because they didn't approve your vacation request or because they um, told you off for being on your phone at work. Those might be some of the reasons your boss sucks. Don't but get your boss in particular, not just bosses in general. Exactly. Here we're doing the capital B boss. Like we're talking about the figure of the boss and, and sort of the abstraction of management in general and why that is systemically bad rather than specific experiences about work. Right. And before we get started, full disclosure, if you haven't heard an episode I've been on before, I am a manager. I am a boss. I didn't go to school for that. I kind of fell into it as as part of my skill set. So I'm more on the side of managers than perhaps other people on this show, but I understand that management has a systemic problem. So full disclosure. On the other hand, I am not a narc. (laughs) I'm kidding. But I've always said this podcast needs a villain, and uh, we have one in the room today. This is going to be very interesting. But no, I think it's, Lou, I think it's vital what you just said. You didn't go to school for management, you just said, and and you just kind of fell into it because of your skill set. What What is that skill set? I'm, <laughs> I, I, it's hard to talk about myself as in, in the pros because I'm a millennial. Um, <laughs> but I, what I mean, do you want? Yeah, what millennials want, that's a throwback. I think generally the people around me will listen to what I have to say. I'm fairly organized. Uh, one of my favorite parts about 
being a manager. And what I like best is the juggling aspect of it and, and having to problem solve and, and shift schedules and, and kind of work on the fly. I, I actually do really enjoy that part of the job. So I, I think things in that general category have, have lended themselves to me getting put in the positions that I've been put in. And so for you, what attracts you to management is a combination of you exert some kind of personal authority, you have some personal qualities that make you authoritative in, in certain situations. I'm bossy. Ah. <laughs> Anybody who knows me actually agrees with that, but that's my incidental. Eye sockets, <laughs> my eye sockets just broke from rolling them. But, Couldn't help but, it. So you've got a mix of personal qualities, and then you genuinely enjoy the dynamism that managing and problem-solving allow you to do yeah it, it fires your brain yeah it does i like the most t- fun i have at work is when i have a, a problem that i have to shift things around and then i can solve some problems at work i can't solve because uh I, I don't have a magic wand and those problems are tough but problems i can solve through shifting things around and and like rallying the troops i love those problems so that's fun to me and the reason I'm asking, the reason I'm going on this line of questioning here is because, so this is a case against episode. We've <laughs> done a couple of these already. We've mm-hmm. done the case against work and we've done the case against genius. And in both of them, we've talked about how these are concepts that either need to exist ultimately or are desirable in some way, shape or form, mm-hmm. maybe have a kernel of truth or goodness to them, but that our capitalistic system just abuses abuses, and I would argue even structures to be as, well, as we'll see as we go on, as number one, as hollow, and number two, as inhumane as possible. Because ultimately, I would argue in any kind of complex enterprise, you need people who can coordinate others and organize them and do what you're talking about, where they will juggle problems and solve them and and have a way of running around basically mm-hmm. and and put out fires so to yeah. speak and i think all of us on some level have had a moment where we felt in the zone and like we're getting stuff done and and we're solving this and we're solving that and we're managing we're doing whatever we can about this problem but for some people like you that's almost like a natural high kind of thing. That mm-hmm. That's something that you yeah. genuinely enjoy. And it's something that anything above like a few people are going to need. The problem is that that's not necessarily what we have. Right. That's, and, and I, again, as a manager, and even though I'm, I'm coming at this from the wrong side, so to speak, I understand and see the problems that we have with management. Uh, I think, like my great awakening to this problem, because again, I didn't come to management and I, I've, I haven't had like a traditional quote unquote career path is watching the office. <laughs> Believe it or not is, is what's the guy's name? Michael, Michael Scott, Michael Scott. He's such a terrible manager and I can't watch that show without getting angry and, and not in like the fun, like love to hate it kind of way. I get actually angry because, and that, that, that's what opened my eyes. This is what people see as their bosses. This is how the vast majority of workers feel about their boss is that they are a a combination of incompetent, self-interested, and I I guess, uh, oblivious. 
And the worst part is that we're talking here about Michael Scott after ostensibly he was funny. Like we're not talking here first season Michael Scott where he was just the most odious figure in mid-2000s television. Absolutely the worst, yeah. Uh, You know, they had given him gags. He had bits. (laughs) Because here's the thing. I work and I teach a lot of people for whom The Office is an absolute cultural touchstone even if they were like six when it came out, basically. And for them, uh, the character of Michael Scott is just kind of this clown who, you know, has interesting jokes, and that's really about it. And for a lot of us who have grown up and gotten a job, that is somebody we deal with on a daily basis who, as we said, can from moment to moment, really make your life difficult. And they're, they don't, in, in real life, they in, tend... In big ways and small ways. Right. And in real life, they tend not to be played by somebody with Steve Carell's comedic gifts is the <laughs> problem. Yeah. All right, or the worst case scenario is they might think that they're that funny. Oh, God. <laughs> but they, they really, really aren't. That's the worst case scenario. You know, the, the boss where you have to laugh at their jokes because otherwise you might be next on the chopping block. Yeah. yeah that's not a great... Yeah. Experience. So, so these are all the systemic things we're talking about. Why is it that that managers and bosses are like that kind of as a species? Like you're going to have your exceptions here or there. Mm-hmm. I hope I, I would hope I'm one. But as a species, they're kind of the same in a lot of ways. Right. The way that I've come to the my hot take definition of management is your management at the point at which your hangups, whatever they may be, however severe they may be, become the problem of somebody else. If you as a worker have, I don't know, arachnophobia, right? You get to deal with that. You're the one that has to go to somebody else and say, hey, I can't really deal with spiders. Can you take care of this thing for me? Or you're the one that has to report on that to your Mm -hmm. boss or whatever. But in some way, it is on you. It is your personal responsibility to figure out what to do about that problem. If you're a manager and you have arachnophobia, you get to go tell your workers to deal with that problem. You don't have to do it yourself. And that, I think, is... I I mean, obviously, I'm using... Not to say that there aren't people who are genuinely afraid of spiders, but I'm using a, a particularly minor case. But I think it's absolutely true that in most cases, when you're put in power over workers, your personality ends up shaping a large portion of their workdays. And if you're a person who has uh, certain kinds of of personality traits, that's not going to go very well for them. I don't think it's necessarily because of a personality clash or anything, but it's because you have power over them. You have the ability to externalize that onto somebody else. Yeah, I'd say that's true. I mean, I think it's, I think the problems with management are systemic in that, the, the it doesn't really matter what kind of industry you're in or what your management style might be. The problems we have with our bosses and management stems from that power imbalance. And the right. reason why we have that power imbalance ultimately comes back to capital. How do you mean? Uh, to be that person again, Marx talks about this and how how you can control your workers. And this is also a tactic that we talked about in our uh, October Labor History episode. 
where you can divide a population that should have some allegiance to each other. For example, labors and management. If you give the smaller of the two populations, you give them more power or power over the larger one, people who should otherwise be aligned can be made to work in your favor. And, and Marx does talk about that briefly, uh, about how labor and management do have more in common than they don't. But because of the power imbalance between the two that is set up by the capitalist, they're put in opposition to one another. So the interests of management are reflective of the interests of the capitalist because management has been privileged over everybody else. So management can borrow those ambitions of capital and enforce them on labor. Yeah, I like I like the term borrowed ambition there yeah. because effectively what it is is a form of policing. It you, is, absolutely. You take a small population and you tell them, you're good, basically. Mm -hmm. we, we consider that these personal qualities or these skills that you have are important, so we're going to place you above and over these other people, this undifferentiated mass of workers. But now it's on you to do what we tell you to do to them. Yeah. And if you can't, then you're not going to be long for this career. As somebody who started my management career as the single step above the, the normal grunt, let's call them, I, I directly saw what that was like, especially when I was in retail, in that my goals as far as what I, I personally wanted to accomplish were make enough money to not be broke all the time and just survive. But given the like tiny bit of privilege I had over everybody else below me, it made a difference in terms of what the capitalist, the company owners, the, the CEO and everything, what they felt my ambitions should be. Like I had, I felt internally a lot more solidarity with the people I was working with because we were on a team. It was just, I just was coordinating them a little bit. But in the way I was treated and the way I was, the position I was supposed to take, it was more, well, your goals should be our goals and growing the company and everything like that. And you were, not to put too fine a point on it, you weren't making that far above minimum wage, no, I right? No, really wasn't, no. Exactly. So you, you weren't even getting much of a reward, mm -mm. but you were being expected yeah. to align yourself with somebody who's making seven mm -hmm. figures of, you know, pure profit a year. Exactly. And the worst part was in that, in that, that alignment that they were trying to, trying to make all management go towards, towards the, the company goals and everything, is that the way they kept you in line was, oh, well, if you do a good job, then you'll get promoted to the next level and everything like that, which... Like in terms of just numbers and everything, isn't something that's actually possible. If, if you think of management and how we think of it traditionally, it's a pyramid scheme. It, it literally is. Like there can only be so many people above everybody else. Like there's one boss that, who might have three underlings, who might have 20 under them. But it's like a rat race. And everybody needs to do as much as they can to reach the top to to be more accomplished, to earn that bigger salary. So, Lou, what you're saying is it might be in the best interests of the people who get to sit on their butts and earn income by doing nothing to string you along and dangle carrots in front of you and promise you a reward if you're, I don't know, particularly good at getting your people in line? Exactly. That's exactly what it is. And this problem with management manifest in so many different ways in, in our 
focus, our laser focus on leadership as the ultimate skill, as like the most valued marketable skill you can have. And the fact that, as I want to talk about in a bit, management tends to be not very diverse. And leadership is is basically all white men. And all of these things are symptoms of this, this rat race and this weird competition that we're put in in order to be the manager, in order to be the leader. Right. And then you get to be the manager and what you get to do is be outnumbered by your workers and wonder if, if you're somebody who's already feeling solidarity with them, you're worried because your company owners are treating you like you're one of them, even when you're clearly not. And then if you're not one of those people, because this is sort of where I want to get with this, I would wager that maybe at the job that you and I are talking about, maybe there were more people who saw through the the BS, what they were being sold. But I know plenty of people for whom getting into management is the goal. Right. You know, like that's, they, they see they see somebody as dumb as Michael Scott and they think, I want to be that guy. Yeah, for a variety of reasons. This Which, prestige, the salary, the... The ability to delegate all your problems to other people. All of those reasons select terrible people. Which, by the way, if you want to be Michael Scott, you're... Please stop listening to this show. You're a terrible person. Go away. (laughs) Go away. This show is not for you. Yeah. I mean, I hope you're learning something, but please do better. Come back when you screwed your head on right. (laughs) So, So all of these, like, there's so many systemic problems that create bad managers. So I keep coming back to this, and I really only came up with this comparison a little while back, but it really is like kind of like policing mm-hmm. because it is. you're That's also exactly encouraged. That's exactly what it is. You're, you're encouraged to have, from what you're talking about, kind of a siege mentality mm-hmm. where it's like your interests align with us, and here's the hordes of employees yeah. that the moment they can, they will rise up over your dead body. Yeah. That was explicit in Sorry to Bother You, if you haven't seen that movie yet. There's actually no spoilers in that, but but the main character is like raised above and that creates opposition and it's hard to organize with him because he's been co-opted and he he's bought into the message. And even though he has still he still has more in common with the laborers, with the everyday grunts than everybody else. And one so this is where this is this gets at what I wanted to sort of bring up, which is, so what is the message that he's getting? Again, without spoiling it too much, now that we're the official propaganda arm for this movie, long (laughs) after it went on its first run. So for example, I am a born worker and in, in the sense that I, when I am allowed to join management, it is for a very short time under very limited conditions (laughs) and for very practical reasons. And therefore, you know, like I'm not, I'm never given the, oh, we're we're putting you up here because you're amazing at this and so on. So I've never really had that happen to me. And I'm interested in knowing when they're trying to get you to like do their dirty work, basically, what kind of things are they telling you that in your case didn't work, but that seemed to make a lot of people really want to? Well, I mean, it's, it's in their goal setting and it's, you know, you need to have a good profitability mar- margin, which means that... You need to to cut your hours, but squeeze as much out of your workers as you possibly can. So, so the more money you're bringing in, the better. Versus the cost. So, cut labor, but for every person that comes in, squeeze as much life out of them as you possibly can. 
save save uh, uh, scraps. Like I can't tell you how many times I I fixed broken things uh, to resell because that was our bottom line is no waste and and this is what they told you about yourself (laughs) no like this is what we were expected to do no i get that but how did they because here's the thing i know plenty of people who will happily do it but i don't think they're being i I don't think the message they're getting from their quote-unquote betters 72 point air quotes on that by the way is you know you need to save scraps and you need to keep like i think they're being told you know you're better than these other people you're you're talented at this you're you go through management modules what they're called (laughs) and sadly some of the true things that were heard of it were used for nefarious ends like don't be a manager be a leader and they talk about the differences between being a leader or a manager and and (laughs) and all these really kind of scummy things like I, i my boss had me read a book that was had something vaguely to do with the Wizard of Oz. I can't remember what it was. It's called, I don't remember what exactly it was trying to sell me, but it was called the Oz Principle. But it was it was like, you need to make sure that you're taking personal accountability for for things. And, and even if you have the worst workers in the world and everything, you can't blame them. You need to move past it, which is sometimes generally true in principle, but again, used towards icky ends. No, that, that's kind of incredible because I think I mentioned this on a previous episode, but I grew up reading a lot of Reader's Digest, basically. Mm-hmm. We won't get into the reasons why. I'm old as heck. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, spiritually. One of the things that they kept mentioning in their sort of like uh, funny things about work section was they, they kept talking about the really good manager as the person who takes responsibility for their employees, who backs them, yeah. who stands up for them versus other people, including versus their own superiors, you know? Which is still true things, but used toward icky ends. Well, yeah. It's something that I think is true, but that I think most managers in this country, certainly in this country, I would argue probably in the entire world, because we're all under this thing called capitalism, really, excepting one or two countries here and there, I would argue don't really do that anymore. Like, I can't count the number of times I've been thrown under the bus by a manager who failed to explain something to me or to a person that we were dealing with. And then immediately when the chips were down, chose to turn on their own employee rather than on, I'm going to use this term, customer in this case. And it seems like being a good manager is about not, is basically about personally restricting your capacity to abuse your workers, which just makes you like a cop. Being a good cop is entirely about restricting your ability to abuse the citizens that you patrol. All right. Okay, we're going to take a break. When we get back, I want to talk about what the consequences of the systemic bad choices of bosses ends up being. You're listening to Punching Out on WAYOLP Rochester. If you'd like to continue slacking off, you can find all of our past episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud. Remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are. Hey 
Hey guys, welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Lou. I'm here today with Noah. Hi y'all. And we're continuing our conversation about management and specifically the case against management. Big surprise here. We at Punching Out are fairly anti-management. Would you say that's correct, Noah? I, I, I just spoke to literally everybody who has ever hosted or been on Punching Out and they all said yes. <laughs> okay, all right. So as long as we have consensus. Uh, so this section we're going to be talking about the consequences of systemic bad management. And just to briefly summarize what we were talking about and and make clear what what we think the mechanism is behind picking bad managers is competition and our sort of pathological need to put one person against the other and make you know basically make them fight it out and then whichever one wins gets to be the boss. Well, yeah, that that's supposed to be the thing, right? If you put these two people against each other and you figure out some way of comparing unquantifiable things about them, mm-hmm. we'll get more into this in a bit, you'll get the better manager because you did that. It's not, I think to some degree, the underlying assumption isn't even that doing this reveals better things about one person than the other. It's just literally this path, as you said, it's a pathology. The need to let's put these two people in the crucible, and you know whichever one isn't reduced to ash, that's who we pick. Yeah. As as you said in the last segment, you know I work in a place where there's almost a hundred staff, and there's really only four or five people that you can consider management in any meaningful sense of the word. That's one person per twenty. Even if you regularly promoted people, even if you rotated them in and out of those jobs, it would take forever. Yeah. to get everybody into those positions. It is literally impossible to have everybody enjoy that, yeah. that those privileges. Yeah, during the break, you were talking about a, a person you know who had an interview. Uh, it was like a panel-style interview where it was a bunch of people interviewing a bunch of different candidates at the same time. Yeah, panel versus panel, which is weird. <laughs> that is with. not an interview style I have ever heard of, but okay. Well, you know, I'm I'm sure I'll get a human resources email about it one of these days. <laughs> but anyway, so he was asked during this directly, point blank, who is the least qualified person here other than yourself and why wouldn't you hire them? Which is an incredible question to ask because it basically gauges your ability to – you don't know, and, and this is what this person told me. You don't really know in what tone that question is being asked, whether it's gauging your ability to stab another person in the back to get what you want, which in our economy, you could be forgiven for thinking that was the case. Yeah. Or if it gauges your ability to smooth over a problem by you know holding off your interviewer with some wishy-washy kind of answer that makes you seem very diplomatic. Yeah. And you don't know what that person is looking for. Right. And I think another thing that really shows how we select management is through competition and undercutting the other person and everything like that is that we, on the one hand, train management in such a way that everybody can do it. It's just a skill that you learn, which is partially true. But there's only a few managers, compared to everybody else. So everybody can do it, but you're the one we chose, mm-hmm. uh, which is is a conflict in in itself. And that's that's one of the reasons why I truly believe like the, this competition leads to people who have either 
through lying outright or misleading can can get to management positions and and it has like because they're incentivized to to be in competition with other people and be the better one and we we like we love market forces so it privileges it doesn't privilege actual leadership skills mm-hmm. it privileges people who can game the system to look like they have them yeah. regardless of whether they're there yeah. or not because you're incentivized because you the next step up earns more money and the stuff above that earns more money. And you earn power and money the higher up in the, the corporate ladder or if it's not corporate, management, whatever, whatever you go. So this system, this systemic problem has consequences that are readily visible to anybody paying attention. One of them is the Peter Principle. Yeah, this one's... Fairly famous, and what it basically ends up being is we have coupled compensation and management, as Lou just pointed out. In our society, you get paid more for being in charge of other people, even if that's all you do all day, and you never actually do any of the real work that you know your, your employees are doing. So what ends up happening is you get people who are very competent at their existing job or are competent to some degree at their existing job. And they're good enough that you want to promote them within the organization. Well, you're going to keep getting promoted up until the point where your incompetence at your position, if you were promoted any further, might actually damage the organization that you're part of. So it's fine that this guy is sub-regional assistant division branch whatever manager <laughs> but if we prom- but if we promote him to regional assistant division branch manager he'll have access to a warehouse that has explosive materials in it and we know he's not good with those <laughs> so we're not going to promote him there and to bring this full circle the personification of the peter principle is the office's michael scott mm-hmm. somebody who was genuinely a very good paper salesman which there's a 1990s job for you <laughs> and is and was promoted into a position where he does not know what he's doing mm-hmm. and he's just muddling through and repeating buzzwords because that's all he knows yeah he's he's experiencing this world of management training and courses completely from the outside while trying to look like he's competent yeah And when we think of the worst bosses and managers out there, like that's who we're thinking of. Somebody who's bumbling, uh, incompetent, not actively harmful, but but definitely relies on everybody around them to to keep them keep everything afloat. And it's weird that we understand this principle and and kind of how it happens, but we're unable to prevent it. Because we've coupled it to salary. That's Mm -hmm. the thing. There is no way to reward someone. You can give people raises, but the raise has to come with extra responsibilities yeah. or more hours or yeah. more paperwork or whatever. Right. You can't simply reward somebody for being good at their job because it flies in the face of capitalism. Exactly. Like you can you can't be just really really good at a job and stay in the same position for 20 years without hitting a salary cap at some point. Mm-hmm. And because we believe and we've incentivized leadership and the, the promotion of leadership through giving people more money. So your position can only make so much 
compared to the position above you. Like the position above you has to, by principle, make more money. So, so it's very limiting. And any any advancement you might want, any any extra money has to be coupled with an improvement in position. And being in charge of other people. Yeah, because that's, again, that's basically the only way we define advancement in our corporate cultures is it's, it's, a, it's a pyramid scheme in that people have to report to you now instead of just, oh, well, now I, y- you can be, you can go from being a project leader to being project managers. So you're, you're not like leading one project, you, different projects report to you. This hierarchical system is basically how all management and all structures in professional life exist. And the, I think one of the side effects that you have then is that the people who do make the cut, the people who do get in there and are then able to, you know, throw their weight around some more, they're naturally going to think, well, if I made the cut, it's because I'm more talented. After all, I'm being mm-hmm. paid more. I'm being asked to be in charge of other people. And because we value leadership so much in our society as a skill set. We overvalue it. Oh, yeah. We're going to get into that. <laughs> And these people are going to naturally think, well, clearly I'm very good at what I do or I wouldn't be where I am. Right. Which I think has its own kind of noxious side effects because then that's also how through the selection process and then the through, competition, a, yeah. through a through a competi- through a competitive process, an oppositional process mm-hmm. that makes the winners, quote unquote, think you know, I I must be the best there is of what I do or else I wouldn't be here. I think that's also how you manage to select for very specific characteristics, uh, including some that aren't exactly personality traits and are more things you might fill out on the census, if you know <laughs> what I'm talking about. Yeah. So, so what you're saying is that it can lead to homogeneity in management classes. Um, and that's that's true. You know, if you look at CEOs of, of companies around the country, uh, was it 90 percent are white men? Something like something that. like that. And the liberal answer to that would be, oh, well, we just need more women and people of color in these CEO positions. We're saying that's not sufficient to fix the problem because the problem is the 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 competitive nature of it, of, of selecting leadership and management. Right. If all your all your response to this does is preserve the process through which these people are put in power, but you diversify the people that are being put in power, I'm not saying that nothing would change. Yeah. I think some representation things, is important, right? But it is not everything, right? And it's not even I think most things yeah. in this particular case. What we're arguing, yeah, yeah. Because what you're going to get is just a more diverse class of people who will have been equally convinced that they are the best individuals at what they do because they've made the cut. But I think we'd argue that what they think they do and what they actually do aren't quite the same thing. No, they're not aligned. Yeah, and that's that's a constant problem that you see with people who want to fix management and everything is that we need to have more diverse management. We need to have different speakers. But the selection process for these managers is still inherently the same. Like there's no change in in if you have more women and people of color on your board, if they all got the same way. They've all bought into the same system. 
Right. That's the thing. And ultimately, as, as long as you preserve the imbalance between labor and management, and particularly upper management, where you get the people who really no longer have to sell their labor for wages, you know, people who can earn passive income that's sizable enough to live on. If all you're doing is diversifying that, again, I'm not saying that there are that there aren't alternate leadership styles or things like that that might come into the popular consciousness, but it's not going to be nearly enough change to make things better for workers at the bottom. Because mm-hmm. ultimately the problem that you and I, Noah, have with management now is that it is bad for workers. Yep. It, it not only has bad outcomes for the organization, which screw them, who cares, <laughs> but but the workers suffer it, because there's there's such competition for for limited spots. Well, in, and they in the hierarchy, and they suffer no matter who gets those positions. They suffer whether they compete for those positions or whether they're not interested. Because the way we've sort of turned management into a science is through things like Taylorism and Six Sigma and all of these systems that, you know, the we've talked about it on a Human Resentments episode before, the eight ways to unlock your <laughs> personal power and the four keys and the, I don't know, all of this Gobbledy stuff. Gook. Yes, all of this uh, jibber-jabber. It, it, it all becomes a way to dress up what is ultimately an extractive relationship. All you're trying to tell your managers is, we're going to train you in this so that we can avoid literally saying, your job is to get the most work out of your employees for the least reward. Yeah. Because we don't want you to think that because then that's going to make you think your job sucks. And we don't want you to think that because we want you to be on our side. And that is what capitalists are telling everybody under them. One day, if you abuse workers enough, you too can join the, you know exalted ranks. But to do that, you have to make your bones by treating other people like crap. Exactly. So this this advancement through and gain through competition and everything ultimately hurts workers the most. Because like I was saying in the previous section, managers and especially lower middle management have a lot more in common with their workers than with capital and with the owners of capital. But that that solidarity is fractured because of our insistence on hierarchy and dominance and and all these really negative attributes of leadership. Yeah, no, and, and the fact that we, I think in particular, the fact that we dress it up as a positive quality, you know? Yeah, that's the, that's the worst part is the fact that as leadership is overvalued, like that's the one thing we're searching for all the time. We talk about great men in our history and they they were all great leaders and we talk about you know captains of industry and everything like that and then people <laughs> which we talked about at at length in our genius episode mm-hmm. um these these are things that are extremely overvalued in our society and because we overvalue it and we associate it with salary we preference it and it leads to people lying about their qualifications or misleading uh, so instead of getting actually good leaders, you get good fakers. Yep. And and even if you assume that these people have a virtuous intent in coupling compensation and leadership, um, which this is something you were saying, you that's what you end up with because yeah. the the very idea of coupling those two things is what's bad. Mm-hmm. I and the thing is, I would argue, and I've sort of gotten at this before, but that 
we say we value leadership. What we value is the appearance of leadership. We value what we end up actually valuing is somebody who's checked off all the right boxes. They've read their, you know, they've read the Oz principle or whatever mm-hmm. the book is. They've they've gone to these trainings and these courses. They might even have a degree that has words like leadership, administration, management, or whatever in yeah. the in the special in the certification. But that has nothing to do with their personal qualities or with their readiness for a job. So what you're ultimately still going to get is a person who is going to be scared to death of how infinitely more competent their workers are than they are at what their workers are doing. Especially now when in most cases, and this is why I think you're, uh, this is another way in which I think you're a rarity. In most cases, we're not promoting managers anymore who are really experienced as workers first. We're more and more promoting managers. It's a class. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, it's entrenched at this point. Management isn't just once upon a time at the beginning of capital, Management was just the the selectorate from or the select few from the. No, no, the I like selectorate. Class. Let's stick with that. <laughs> that. That's a specific term that relates to political science, but that's not that you're here nor there. Um, <laughs> the, but they were the select few and the the chosen mm-hmm. of the labor. But at this point, after so many iterations of capital and competition and and all these other mechanisms that we've talked about for selecting managers, it's become its own class. Yeah. It, it's the it's the black hole of social classes. Like it just mm-hmm. it keeps attracting people, and at this point, it just has its own kind of area. Yeah, it's, it's, it's own event horizon where yeah. it it doesn't need to you it doesn't need to actively go out and seek people. People will come to it because I guess I shouldn't say a black hole because this is actually presented as being very shiny <laughs> and, and good and bright. <laughs> the opposite. It and it is, and it's it, people buy into the system of. Let's admit it's governance and they say, well, yeah, this is a good system and it's good and it feeds in and it's all the same mechanisms with the same terrible outcomes over and over and over again. This is cheery. How do we always end up doing the bleak ones? (laughs) I don't know, Noah. What's wrong with us? Um, Well, it's a good time to take a break. So we'll take a break. When we come back, let's try to think on the bright side. Let's try to think of what we could do better, if anything. Can we try that? I think we can. Well, let's give it a go. All right, we'll be back. You're listening to Punching Out on Wayo 104.3. If you enjoy our show, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. If you'd like to share your stories, you can email us at punchingoutwayo at gmail.com. Back to the show. Hi, y'all. Uh, welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Noah. I'm here with Lou. Hey, guys. And we've been talking over the past few segments about why our system of management... Well, first of all, we've been talking about what it is and mm-hmm. ultimately what what lies at its roots and then why it's bad and it sucks and <laughs> it should be replaced. And then we decided that that was all extremely depressing and bleak and and just very sad. And we've decided that we're going to take this last segment and maybe try to offer some hope and happiness and and light by bringing in some ideas of what could we do instead of this oppositional and extractive and ultimately a policing-based system of management that we have right now. Because I think ultimately, even though we disagree with management and bosses uh, on principle, 
um, for all the reasons we've already laid out. We're not saying that there's no space for leadership and that leadership doesn't serve a purpose in work and in other functions. Even I think the most hardcore anarchist at this point wouldn't wouldn't throw away manage, leadership altogether. There's, there is a place for it. It just needs to change. Right. Unfortunately, management kind of stole the word leadership. So I think maybe we'll have to come <laughs> I know, up with something else. They scum up everything. Coordination or something. I don't know. Coordination is great. Cool I just gave them ideas. <laughs> if you're a, a corporate spy or anything, stop listening. Go away. Yeah, you have to tell us. Otherwise, it's entrapment. <laughs> but anyway, the hallmark of the case against series, all three of them, is that these are things that, in some way, shape, or form, no matter how utopian and ideal your future society gets you'll still need somebody who draws up the schedule. You will still need somebody who coordinates uh, whatever needs doing, be it cleaning the street or painting a, 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 painting public housing or teaching children or whatever. Any one of those many jobs, many things that will still need doing you're still going to need somebody to say, okay, you go here and you go here and you go there. Even if it's you go there because you want to go there, you go there because you want to go there. Like there, I don't think we're ever going to reach a point where everybody is just completely autonomous right. in this regard. And what we have to do here is come up with a system that preserves that need while removing as much as possible of the abuse from the equation because I think ultimately that's what makes a good alternative here. The problem that we have with management is that your manager can screw with your life for effectively the pettiest reasons that they want. Mm -hmm. And we've really done you all a disservice by not having more salacious stories of incredibly <laughs> petty workplace abuse right. that would be hilarious and sad. But that's basically what a good alternative would be. It would remove the power of your manager to mess, uh, w to cause you trouble for reasons that are not incredibly, incredibly urgent or necessary. Uh, and that's, so So that's that's our goal in, in looking for these solutions. One solution that I think might work and it, requ it does require a radical rethinking of income and uh, salary and wages is that we need to decouple salary and wages from certain skills like leadership. So as we were talking in the previous segment, one of the reasons why managers tend to be bad is because of the competition placed on them and the perverse incentive to be dominating over other people because with that domination and um, leadership, as they call it, comes a better salary. So what you can do is you can just pay everybody the same. On our Workplace Democracy episode, we actually discussed a French video game studio named Motion Twin. We tried not to pronounce it in French. That, <laughs> that does exactly that. Everybody is paid the same way. And they talked about how they were once a much larger studio and they had to cut down. But they, they had to cut down because they tried to preserve that structure and it didn't really work at scale. One of the one of the things that we'd have to think about with these alternatives is, are they only workable in very small groups, or is it something that can be expanded throughout, you know, large groups of workers who might be doing radically different things? Yeah. 
And I think, but I think it would work because if you pay everybody the same, regardless of their individual skills, like one of the things that my managers, when we were training me as management said is that every person on a team, it can be good at something and you need to figure out what that person's good at. And one person might be better at the cash register or talking to, to other people or whatever. Um, but they're good at what they're good at. That's, that's what they bring to the table. And that's not necessarily more valuable or less valuable than their teammates. And that's true of other skills, including leadership. And if everybody across industries and everything is, is making the same and is able to pull that across, then the people who are actually good leaders can be leaders without having to deal with the competition and glory-seeking, hopefully, of people who just want more money and more power and are seeking leadership positions in order to achieve those. Yeah, I think that's a very important point. I distinctly remember somebody who is now firmly ensconced in the ranks of management, <laughs> but at the time was a coworker of mine telling me, you know, leadership is a skill like any other. That's why I can tell somebody else how to do their job that I have done for far less time than they have because I have this other skill that enables me to sort of figure out what it is that they're doing wrong. And my response to it was, well, fine, Let, let's assume that that's the case. I didn't. That's not a, that's not a skill of leadership. It's not true. Okay. All right. As long as we're Fake. clear. <laughs> but then why do you get paid more than they do? Yeah. If you have different skills, not a better skill, not a worse skill, if you have different skills, why is your compensation radically different unless your skill is valued more than theirs? Which is exactly what we were just talking about, that we have taken to valuing leadership as this be-all and end-all that provides people with like weird divine insight yeah. into how other people do their jobs. You know, we're, this segment is going to necessarily be somewhat speculative because we are in such a horrible labor situation in this country right now. And if you don't believe us, um, I would suggest you listen to now it'll be two weeks ago, our October labor history episode mm -hmm. where we talked about rent strikes uh, or sorry, strikes by hotel workers going on in various cities because they can't afford rent. When such basic needs aren't even in the equation, it is really hard to think about how are we going to restructure management in our workplaces. And I think the ultimate answer is that workers have to own them. Yeah. And I'm not talking like co-ops, though that is part of it. I'm talking about workers have to own their workplaces outright because – the traditional answer, even on the left for this, is unions. And I'm not saying that unions are bad. Not at all. We're very pro-union on this show. Go unions. Woo! Heck yeah. Anyway. <laughs> but even the strongest union is, number one, going to be constrained by laws outside of the workplace to some degree. And two, even if you have a union that can effectively advocate for its workers and tell their managers to go pound sand basically whenever they want – that still has an oppositional relationship between the union and the manager. It still preserves, Lou, that thing you've been talking about of putting the worker and manager as enemies against each other mm -hmm. rather than being on the same side. The only way you really get that done is 
the 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 only way that you can have the alliance of labor and management is if they are complicit in the yeah. ownership of the workplace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's sort of it's a different approach than what I was saying with the salary thing, but they're kind of the same general idea is that if you level the playing field for everybody and make everybody equally responsible for the success or failure of the work that they're doing, then you can remove some of the power imbalances that result from from the mechanisms of management. Right. No, we again, we talked about this on the workplace democracy episode, but basically all of this is based on reducing that imbalance and giving workers as much power within their workplace mm-hmm. as they can possibly have, which ultimately there is no greater measure of power within your workplace than being a part than than owning it than having the means to continue that than having the means to than having the means of production <laughs> there i said it just go full communist yes <laughs> yes that's what we're doing anyway guys it's good for us but that's that's the thing if you're if the person who is in charge of doing all the things that we need managers to do that the actual things that are important for managers to do. If that person can do those things without having the kind of power over you that managers currently do, where they can, you know, really affect your life in ways that are not helpful to anybody for whatever reason they want to, and it and good managers to the extent that they exist, not very high, <laughs> are there only because they can hold themselves back. The only way you can rectify that is by having the manager be another worker, basically. Mm-hmm. Yep. That sounds like a good solution to me. Yeah. Um, and beyond that, just to t- touch on it briefly, uh, because Kristen Hawker, when we had her on an episode uh, a long time ago on, on diversity training, um, she when I was talking to her behind the scenes, she, we were talking about how you can do better and, and have better results with management is through looking at more diverse ideas of management. And the very Western hierarchical version of management is not the only model of management leadership out there. And there are alternatives that exist already in Africa, for example, and um, in the native populations of the, the Americas that are more democratic and more, how would you say, uh, collaborative than the ones we currently have. And all of these in our our homogeneity, unfortunately, that has resulted from the mechanisms of management now and how it works results in us having a very narrow view of what management can look like and what leadership can look like. And looking at more diverse sources for, for inspiration for this would be a wonderful way to make management and leadership not just in work but in other places better for workers for managers for the population in general i think that's absolutely right i think that's the ultimate victory of this system that it it makes us think that even as ideal even even in the most ideal state that you could achieve the basic point of leadership is still telling somebody else what to do yeah which doesn't necessarily have to be the extent of it. Yeah. Yeah, we can be more collaborative. 
it's possible and it's possible to be collaborative without having to get consensus and these kind of things. And, and there is hope and we can do better. Um, we should do better. We have to do better because what we currently have is not sustainable. And because, right. It's so unsustainable that this is one of those things that we have 10 years to fix, you know? Yeah, it really is. Like if, if we think of the leadership of this country in general and how it's modeled after corporate structures and, and our insistence for the past 20, 30 years that private sector is the best, most efficient, most glorious way we can model our institutions. The crisis that we have now in leadership is the result of these mechanisms of management that we've been talking about for the past hour. That makes sense. We have a weird shadow government in the mm -hmm. U.S. where, you know, we'll slash our, our safety nets to the bone and we won't build any public infrastructure whatsoever. But we'll expect billionaires to chip in here and there to, you know, I don't know, help a guy who walks five miles each way to get to work a car. Right. That that kind of thing. Yeah. Or we'll, you know, you can hope to win the lottery, basically. Mm -hmm. We have to fight for the scraps. And that's because we've we've exported this bizarre, messed up version of management to all our institutions. So it's not only better for us, it is imperative that we do better as far as management. Yeah. Our, our choices are either we overcome this sticking point or thanks to climate change and increasing economic inequality and so on, a lot of us die. Yeah. I promised I wouldn't be bleak. But I, know, the, I was going to say. But the thing is, tried. I think the fact that people are actually thinking about it is something. Mm -hmm. This wasn't the the people that were thinking about these kinds of things even 10 or 20 years ago were a far smaller number than they are now. People are realizing that this is not sustainable, that this cannot continue, that we cannot keep allowing the same small group of people who own everything to be in that position. Yeah. I didn't even think about it that way, but you're absolutely right. Well, we tried to keep it happy. Um, <laughs> I don't know that we succeeded at the end, but uh, I hope you, dear listeners, have been inspired a little bit to to try to think about management differently, um, not necessarily charitably, but think about what you could do better and demand from, from your leadership. Your boss sucks. <laughs> to the extent that you can, let them know they suck. That's true. Your boss isn't listening, as always, but we are. Thank you guys for listening. I am Lou. I'm Noah. This has been Punching Out. You've been listening to Punching Out. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Email us your work stories, complaints, and struggles to punchingoutwayo at gmail.com. Punching Out is a project of the Punching Out Collective. Our producer is Ryan Brister. Music for Punching Out is provided by Ariel Cruz. Tune in next week for more Punching Out. And remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are.